We are in an imagination battle. Claudine Rankin and Terry Marshall speak of this. Imagination turns brown bombers into terrorists and white bombers into mentally ill victims. Imagination gives us borders, gives us superiority, gives us race. We have to imagine beyond those fears. These words written by Adrian Marie Brown in Emergent Strategies influence my definition of thought leadership. So I define thought leadership as a practice where we consistently tap into our passion, experience, and credibility to build trust and community as we imagine and shape the future together for the better. But I know thought leadership can have an icky reputation. And I think this is because being invited to speak at powerful events, being elected to influential boards, and being published as authors and op-ed writers has traditionally been so much more accessible to those who already wield power and their imaginations were shaping the world in a way that definitely worked for them, not always necessarily for everyone. So that is why my mission is to guide the folks who are shaping a just future, one that's rooted in their lived experience and wisdom, and one that works for the collective. So in this imagination battle, influence is a major currency. Without influence, the promise contained in our imagination dies on the vine. Influence is like the fuel that lets our imagination work as a 3D printer, actually creating those new spaces that we see. Influence is part of the necessary kindling that can spark a new way of doing things. So how do we build up our influence to drive change, especially if we have identities that have been historically overlooked and underestimated? That's what you're going to learn about in this podcast episode. So let's get it going. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Campfire Circle. I'm your host, Tanya Bhattacharya, and I empower purpose-driven women in building influential personal brands that drive change and raise revenue. We all talk about getting a seat at the table, but why though? Who wants to sit in a stuffy boardroom anyway? Let's reimagine the ultimate space of leadership as a campfire circle, where we share stories that inspire movements, build brave communities to huddle together with for warmth, and where there is always room. Come sit with us. When I was a wee social psychology student, one of my assigned books was Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert B. Cialdini. And I fell in love with it because it was unveiling to me the psychological science behind building power for good. I was a student fundraiser at the time, and I could already see how these lessons could lead to social impact. So Dr. Cialdini breaks down seven principles of influence, which I'm going to speak to from a social impact lens and share some exact examples of how you can use these principles to drive change and raise revenue to support the future that you're working to build. And so the first one is reciprocity. And I love talking about reciprocity because really it's a tenant of participating in a community. And there's a lot of examples that Dr. Cialdini includes in his book, like the fact that getting peppermints along with your restaurant bill generally increases your positive feelings and even your willingness to tip. Or that a nonprofit sending return address labels leads to more donations. At least when direct mail fundraising was more of a thing. This book was written at first in 1984, remember. So when I was a nonprofit fundraiser, the specific fundraising model that we used taught us to provide a small, tiny gift at our events, like an apple. An apple was the example that they used. You could also use a flower or a piece of chocolate or something like that. 
And here's where some of the, this is where some of the potential ickiness might come in. Cause you might wonder like, shouldn't a supporter want to give on their own without any psychological manipulation? And so this, this goes for all the examples I'm going to share because yeah, it is, it is possible to use these principles to manipulate others. But because I'm speaking to social impact leaders, right? I think that this is really about intention and guiding people to buy into the better future that you envision, right? And so I think reciprocity without exploitation in this example is about releasing an expectation of quid pro quo, because that reciprocity might come back to you in the form of them having a great experience and them telling their friends about you, or it might come as a donation or anything in the middle of that spectrum. So for me, it's about like releasing the outcome and providing value, knowing it will come back to you tenfold in some way, even if it's not from that person themselves. And so in the world of marketing, you see examples of reciprocity and providing valuable freebies, downloads, educational webinars, eBooks, even this podcast, any podcast episode you listen to, whether it's mine or someone else's, I can pretty much guarantee that it took them a lot of time, love, care, money to create. And so if we look at this from a lens of reciprocity, we're providing value and education, knowing that it creates a certain amount of influence and goodwill. And I don't know how that's going to come back to me, but I trust that it will in some way. And I can say that since launching this podcast about, what is it now, about eight months ago, it definitely has in a multitude of ways, you know, so it works. Reciprocity works. Now, the next one is commitment and consistency. And so Dr. Cialdini calls this out as our obsessive desire to be and to appear consistent with what we have already done. And so if you happen to have the book or if you buy the book, it's on page 57. And so this principle always reminds me of studying in the library and asking our neighbor, who happens to be a stranger, to watch our stuff. Like, we don't know that person. Yet, if you have ever said yes to watching a stranger's stuff, you probably have really done so, right? Like you stayed and you guarded that stuff because you said you were going to. So in the book, he talks about a study done on a beach where a researcher, pretending to be just a normal beachgoer, puts down a radio on a beach blanket and then leaves probably to go down to the ocean. And then another researcher, pretending to be a thief, tries to steal the radio and runs away with it. So under, you know, normal conditions, only four out of the 20 onlookers actually chased after the thief. But if that beachgoer asked the subject to watch their stuff, 19 of the 20 people actually chased after the thief. And I think that's pretty incredible. Like the majority of people actually got up and chased after them. And so when you make a public commitment, you do what it takes to fulfill that commitment. And so similarly, he speaks to another study that I think would be especially interesting for social impact leaders, because in this study, homeowners received a sign that they could display, noting that they were making a commitment to use less energy in their home, and they'd get a mention in their local paper. And so they did, they, you know, increased their energy savings. And later on, when they were no longer getting that publicity, when they no longer had that sign, it turns out that they actually increased their energy savings even from that point. So why? Like, why do we do that? I think it's because when you make a public stand, you start to see yourself as a kind of person who does that thing. In this case, who takes care of the environment, right? And so how I think social impact leaders can use this principle is to give 
any kind of person who has a stake in your work, whether they're a board member, a client, a referral source, give them a way to publicly make a stand for your shared vision. So if you're a coach or a service provider with a unique framework or service, look at ways to really like certify that framework and, you know, create a way to become certified in your process. If you're an app or you're a technology that does good, give your partners a seal or a logo to put on their site to note that they're partners of yours. If you're a nonprofit, give your key potential, you know, stakeholders an opportunity to speak at your summits and your conferences, and then give them promotional materials so that they can post it on their LinkedIn and other social media so they can publicly share their affiliation with your cause. For me, it's always less about affiliation with the organization and more about the affiliation with your cause. If you are an advocacy organization, give your constituents a way to sign a pledge And there has been obvious criticism about pledges as being toothless because folks aren't actually taking like a big action here. But I would beg to differ based on the studies that Dr. Cialdini has spoken to in his book. Think of signing a pledge as the first step in a journey to them becoming just an amazing supporter. Because once they see themselves as the kind of person who supports the social impact work that you're committed to, they will become more invested in taking the actions required to get the cause further along to your vision. All right. So social proof is the next one he talks about. And this is one of my favorite ones to use in practice and teach my clients who are working towards becoming trusted thought leaders on LinkedIn. And really social proof boils down to the fact that humans are persuaded more by the actions of others. So that's why we all drive past the speed limit on the 405, right? Because everyone around us is doing it. So it's got to be okay, right? So again, the actual chapter from the book, full of great examples, my favorite one being when Dr. Cialdini is trying to teach his three-year-old son to swim. So he hires one of his graduate students, who's a six-foot-two former lifeguard, to try and teach him the basics, but his son is not having it. He's not interested at all. But what eventually gets his young son to learn to swim is him realizing that his friend Tommy, who also happens to be three years old, already knows how to swim. So of course he should know how to swim too. And I love this so much for many reasons. One, it points to the power of our lived experience as being more powerful than stats, than facts and figures, or even doing what people who are quote unquote like authority figures or in power tell us to do. So when people tell me, oh my gosh, I don't have enough degrees. I don't have enough years of experience. I don't have the right credentials to be a thought leader or like really put myself out as a trusted voice or a trusted expert, I always bring up the example of the college docent. So if you ever went and took college tours before deciding on a school to go to, think about who it was that gave you that tour. It wasn't the dean, right? It wasn't a professor. It wasn't even a staff person. It was probably a college student who was maybe one or two years older than you, who is showing you around. And really that is the most appropriate person because they're relatable. They, not that long ago, were in the very spot that you're in, trying to figure out where to go, what choice to make. And you probably have the exact same, maybe not the exact same, but you have similar fears, concerns, and questions. And so how can you use this concept of social proof to build influence as a social impact leader? So the first way I think is definitely to share your story that positions you as a guide. And I talk about this all the time on this podcast, but spaces where you can specifically share that story include your LinkedIn about section. So often I see this looking like a resume. It should read like a resource and it should be your story, right? 
You can talk about it on your about section of your website, which by the way, is one of the most visited sections of your site because people want to know who you are. They want to know the face behind the work, right? If you're giving a presentation or a webinar, or if you're on a panel, share your story first, like have that be the first thing that you do. Because again, your story is your greatest tool in demonstrating that, yes, you have the lived experience, you have the social proof that can now help them get to where they're wanting to go. The second way to use social proof as an influence builder is testimonials and case studies. So I would encourage you to think about having an automated way to ask for a testimonial once you've worked with somebody. Like I just have that set up in my HoneyBook, which is what I use to kind of like facilitate my client work. And also the other piece is definitely utilize the LinkedIn recommendation section because that brings such a high level of trust. You can't make those up. And by the way, I'm not saying anyone is making up their testimonials, but on LinkedIn, recommendations are attached to someone's LinkedIn profile. They have to leave them for you. So there's just like a really high level of trust there. So take a moment to consider who you're trying to build more influence and trusted relationships with, whether it's investors, conference hosts, referral sources from a certain like vertical that you work with really well, you know, clients. And after you're done listening to this episode, ask one or two people who fit that description that you've already worked with in that way, who they had a positive experience and they can speak to your character and how you work together. Go to their LinkedIn profile, make sure you're already connected. You have to be connected with them. But if you are, click on the button that says more and then request a recommendation. So this is a great way to build up your social proof over time because those live on your profile forever. Hey, if anything you're hearing today inspires you to get more visible as a go-to trusted voice for your audience and drive change towards your deeper mission, I've got something for you. LinkedIn is my favorite place to share my stories and build relationships with my co-conspirators and brand new friends. So I put together a free resource with 14 prompts to create your next post on LinkedIn. Take all the guesswork out of what to say and just start building your impact and influence. Be sure to tag me in your post so I can come by, cheer you on, and amplify your message. You can find those free prompts in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. So the next one, the fourth principle is liking. And so everyone who's in this space of like, personal branding and stuff, marketing talks about this no like trust factor, but how do you actually get people to like you, which over time leads to them trusting you? The good piece of this is you don't have to change anything about yourself because you are inherently likable and awesome. The bad news is that there's kind of like a systemic, like human nature piece in that people tend to like people similar to them. So how do you rise above artificial markers of difference like class or race? I think how you do this is you have to talk about a shared vision. You've got to paint a picture of the future world that you're committed to creating and do it consistently until they can see it too with you. I talk about this a little bit in a previous podcast episode about vision. So I'll link that in the show notes if you want to check that out. But consistency is important here because as you show up more, you become more familiar So when I was a fundraiser, I wouldn't have asked somebody for a gift unless there had been an appropriate number of touch points between the time I met them and the time that I actually asked for a gift. It takes time, more time than you might think for someone to warm up, 
get familiar with you, fall in love with your mission, and build enough trust to make a transformative investment. And I'm not just talking fundraising here. This goes for potential clients who are considering working with you, investors, really anybody who can help you make shift happen. And I want to make a distinction here for social impact leaders, because you probably know how important it is to get your organization or your company's mission out there. And you probably invest in marketing accordingly. But it's also so important for you to get your face out there. People want to know the face behind your work. And if you're a founder, executive director, or if you're responsible for a certain project or initiative, let people know who you are, right? Show up on video. Like, or at least show your face, right? Share your unique opinion. Take an authentic stand and let people know what you believe in. And what's going to happen here as you draw a line in the sand is people are either going to not like it. And that's a good thing because remember, those are the folks who are never going to really come alongside and invest with you anyway, or they will love it and they will lean in and they will build trust. You know, that's where, that's where influence comes from. And I know how busy you are because if you're a social impact leader, you're in the trenches, you're doing the work, you're tending to your staff, you're helping the people you serve, and it can be really hard to find the time to show up consistently. So I have a strategy that I call lazy on LinkedIn, where I only post once per week. If I post more than that, that's cool. That's icing on the cake, you know, as a cherry on top. But I only commit to posting once per week. And I will tag info about that also in the show notes so you can learn more about that. So moving on to authority. So I, you know, in the book, he talks about authority as, you know, some markers of authority are like titles, clothing, trappings, like the car that you drive. Authority is an interesting one. And I think authority is changing as the workforce continues to become more humanized. I think that authority intermingles with sincerity and vulnerability in ways that it didn't before. The more sincere you are, the more people you attract to learn from you as a guide. Yet, you know, titles, clothing, and trappings can still be can still be an influential piece. Maybe cl- le- clothing's less so now that we're all on Zoom, you know. But for sure, some examples of ways to position ourselves as authorities are through our LinkedIn featured section, for example, because you can highlight different pieces of media that you're proud of. It can be podcasts, it can be other LinkedIn posts, it can be YouTube videos, you know, anything that really showcases your authority, your expertise, your passion, your credibility. Yeah. Feature those things. Another way to tap into authority is to include logos of the different companies you've worked with or spoken for or presented to in your LinkedIn cover banner or, you know, on your website or in your press kit. And listen, I know some of you are building your authority on other platforms like Instagram, or maybe you're like totally not on social media. You are just building authority through email or earned media, and you're just not that into LinkedIn. So I would recommend that you refresh your LinkedIn profile with some of these authority markers anyway, because when folks Google you, your LinkedIn is going to be one of the top things to come up because it's such a trusted site in the eyes of Google. So just keep that in mind. You know, you're going to want some of these pieces to show up. So this next one is scarcity. So this is a complicated one. It's an interesting one, I'll say, because I obviously agree that Scarcity is an influence builder because it motivates people into action. And, you know, I believe multiple things can be true at once. And so I also think that scarcity is a mindset that has led to some really unhelpful and dangerous policies, funding patterns, systems in our world, you know, and I believe in 
embodied leadership. I believe in vision. I believe that when you are doing this work of thought leadership, you have to believe so fiercely in the vision that you're working on making real that you almost have to act as if that vision has already come true. And in my vision for the future, scarcity does not exist because scarcity is manufactured, right? Scarcity is not real. So in my vision, scarcity has been replaced with abundance. So I'm actually not even going to really talk about scarcity. Instead, I'm going to talk about the new principle that Dr. Cialdini has introduced since the publishing of his original work. And I didn't even know about this. I found out about this when I was kind of brushing up on this for this article. But he has since published a seventh principle called unity. And he kind of refers to unity as being the backbone of all of the previous principles. And, you know, he says unity is about, you know, unity is about crafting a group feeling. And I think this is the true nature of our world, right? It's about community. It's about interdependence. It's about relying on each other and lifting each other up. This is something that I could literally spend a whole podcast episode on. And to be honest, this is unity is what the campfire circle represents to me. You know, I never found that at a boardroom table, but I think a campfire circle that it, it is about unity. It's about turning an audience into a community. And so what are some specific examples of infusing unity into your work? So one kind of easy way to practice this in your copy, in your content, is using the word you far more than you use I or we, you know, talk directly to the audience because, you know, that's who this is for. Try using the LinkedIn polls feature or otherwise asking your community for feedback. Hold summits, have meetings where you're asking other people to speak in service of your shared vision. You know, for me, it's like, how do I stoke a fire large enough so that everybody can feel its warmth, right? How can I highlight other people who are doing this work in service of this shared vision? Because at the end of the day, you know, that is going to help that vision become real. That is going to, you know, be a good thing in this imagination battle, right? So yeah, more than anything, remember you're building a community, not an audience as you practice brave thought leadership on LinkedIn. Share authentic content, you know, about your story, which is such a powerful tool to create unity and get on the same page. And so if you're looking for support here, I want you to check out the show notes. I have a lot of resources at this point in there, but I want you specifically to check out my 14 LinkedIn prompts if you haven't already. They're all designed with a lot of these principles in mind, from social proof to authority to liking, definitely for unity. So that was a lot, but I hope that you start to digest this. I hope it provided some food for thought. And if you're up for it, as always, reach out to me and let me know what emerged for you. What'd you think? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or even better, reach out and let me know through lumosmarketing.co. Yes, that's lumos as in the illumination spell from Harry Potter. Because when you shine, magical things happen. You can get social with me on LinkedIn. And of course, check out the show notes to stay in touch with our guests. Let's talk soon.